discuss in this episode, I just like to give out again a trigger warning. Things or stories that I'll be sharing with you in this episode might prompt certain negative feelings or certain negative memories and thoughts to resurface in your mind and in your heart. So I'd just like to encourage everyone to please listen with caution and also to have somebody with you who can process these things with you, these thoughts and these feelings. And I'll also be including certain organizations in the description that you can contact if in case you need to talk to a mental health practitioner. You know, this week has been a race, a hallelujah week for me in a sense that it's been so heavy and it felt like the restlessness and disquiet visited me again. Plus, a typhoon just passed and being a person who has such low tolerance for gloom and for rain, it didn't exactly go well for my mental state. Of course, it's still October and it's still Mental Health Awareness Month. You know, I've been pondering on what to share and discuss and I figured maybe I shouldn't go far from what I'm feeling at present or what perhaps some or a lot of you have been feeling as well. You know, pain just really has its way of finding us in both expected and unexpected ways. That probably sounds cliche too, only because it holds truth to it. Pain arrives guised in different clothing and appearances made manifest in various ways. I had my birthday this week, and I don't know about you, but I reckon that there are moments in a birthday where a kind of sadness or loneliness creeps in. I mean, it may not be the kind that lingers, it's just a passing feeling, but there are moments where thoughts overwhelm your mind that may be a result of sentiment, or nostalgia, or longing, or maybe all of the above. You know, that headspace where you tangibly live and probably feel the hyphen engraved on a tombstone that separates your birth and death year. It's like you're there. That moment on your birthday is the hyphen. That's what it felt like for me. One of my college mentors said that there's such a thing as birthday blues, especially when you get older. And nearly ushering my third decade didn't make me immune to those blues, even just momentarily. I've also been so insecure lately. And I think that's one of the most dominant feelings during this time, you know, COVID, pandemic time. So many things are just so unsure and unknown. Of course, we never really know about tomorrow, but prior this time, I guess we had that certain feeling that we could, to a certain extent, calculate certain things in the future, but now it's as if we have been stripped off of any handle to hold on to. There are so many fears that plague my heart as well, especially during the night when I'm up alone in the house and it's so quiet just being drowned by thoughts in the line of what if, what now, what else. Loneliness and desolation have also been frequent visitors these past months or this past year, actually, mag-iisang taon na pala. You know, to feel like you're standing paralyzed in one position with the whole world just rapidly orbiting around you and you want it to stop, 
but no one hears your screams, so it just goes on and on and on and on. To suffer is one of the most crucial points that we will experience in our lives. And I don't mean like momentary disappointments and frustrations. I mean the kind of suffering that sinks into the depths of your wounds. The kind of suffering that surrounds your world. Sufferings that pound into declarations of shame and condemnation that you tell yourself over and over again. To suffer like that is one thing. To do that in silence, though, is another. To suffer and endure with only tear-stained sheets and flickering lights in your own heart as witnesses is a suffering unlike any other. I resonate with the psalmist who wrote, My soul also is greatly troubled. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. So I've been thinking about pain and suffering lately, and I kept reflecting on how I have emerged from the darkness that swallowed me years ago. What kept me afloat? How did I overcome? And despite the pains that I experience now, you know, pains that are much worse than before, how am I still okay? And I realized that how I regarded my pain, how I held my pain, was very telling of where I was in my healing journey. You know, in psychology, there are often stages to concepts. Stages of grief, stages of therapy, stages of a disorder, and others. And I noticed how we hold our pains and suffering is a part of transitioning and staying in a particular stage. And that's what I want to discuss now. How do we hold our pains? Where do they settle in our minds and lives? How is our relationship with them? Are they us? You know, one of the gifts of being able to go through a mental illness and manage it well and journeying through healing is the ability to see and appreciate things in retrospect. Of course, when I was actually in the situation, I couldn't have thought about all these things. I'm able to gain insight only as a result of reflecting and looking back on what I have been through and what I have experienced. You know, I noticed before that I over-identified with my pain. At first, I denied it, shrugged it off, pushed it away, and that doesn't do good as well. Because the thing about suffering is that it has to be suffered. And I heard it also before, the only way out is through. But then after a while, I found myself in a point where my pain became the foreground of my life instead of just the background. I wanted to be identified as the person who had a mental illness. I mean, not publicly, as I didn't exactly feel comfortable and safe broadcasting the ins and outs of my struggles to the public. But I mean, in a sense that it was necessary or it was imperative for me that people who wanted to be a part of my life knew that I was suffering with a disorder. 
it was as if, oh, you want to be my friend? You should know I'm manic depressive and anxious and socially awkward and so on. You know, I remember it was one of our frequent fights with my boyfriend because I'd usually tell him, I'm anxious nga, why can't you understand? Or, I have a disorder kasi. Uh, because I believed that he didn't accept that I had a disorder. But what I didn't understand then was that he did accept it, but he refused to treat me like I was disordered. I had a disorder. I wasn't a disorder. He would tell me that he was in a relationship with me, not a mental illness. And I didn't like hearing that because I was under the idea that the only way he can successfully deal with me and help me and understand me was to know that everything I thought, everything I said, everything I did was because I had a disorder. I'm blessed that he didn't believe me and saw past those flawed sentiments and arguments. I think it's one thing to get to know about a disorder for us to be able to know how to extend help, empathy, understanding, and compassion. But that's different from seeing a person just as a disordered person or seeing a mental illness and not a person. It took me a long while to realize that I am not my pain, I am not my feelings, I am not my illness, they do not define me. In relation to that, there was a point as well where I was so protective of my pains and my illness. Like, I was thinking, this is mine, and no one dare take it away from me, you know? Don't come near it. Don't touch it. So, it was interesting to me to reflect back on it and realize that I wanted people to understand me, but I did not want people to identify with my illness because this pain, this illness, is mine. You know, it's mine. I remember a quote from a Daniel Padilla, Catherine Bernardo movie. I think it's Barcelona. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, he said, Daniel Padilla's character said, Stop acting like you know my pain. Stop acting like you own it. You know, I really resonated with that. And... It actually annoyed me when people talked as if they knew what my illness was or what it was like to have a disorder, even if their motives were noble or even if they only said that to be able to help me. And I guess this is one of the reasons why I was so easily offended by what other people said by the ignorance of people, by the insensitivity of others, even if it was brought about by culture. I was offended by the mistakes people made around me, by the remarks that they said, thinking, you can't say that to me, I have an illness. I wrote one time in my journal, I knew I was healed when I was no longer combative about my pains. If you read the book of Mark Manson entitled The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I want to quote something he said, The deeper the pain, the more helpless we feel against our problems, and the more entitlement we adopt to compensate for those problems. This entitlement plays out in one of two ways. I'm awesome, and the rest of you all suck, so I deserve special treatment. 
or I suck, and the rest of you are all awesome, so I deserve special treatment. There was also this song in 2011 released by Gautier entitled Somebody That I Used To Know. There's this lyrics that I always mention and share and go back to in reference. It says, you can be addicted to a certain kind of sadness. So why am I sharing all these quotes and lyrics? Basically, it was a hard pill to swallow, but at least for me, they were true. Basic behavior principle would say we gravitate towards things that reward us and avoid things that hurt or punish us. So it took a lot of courage and boldness for me to sit myself down and ask myself, Ash, what are you getting from this? Even if it's just one simple thing. And maybe until now I'm not sure. Or maybe I cannot admit it. But to a certain point, it just made things easier, you know? I did not have to justify the love and the care that I needed or even demanded. I did not have to have reasons for the decisions I made. I did not have to explain mistakes I committed. I did not have to apologize for hurting the people I love and the people who love me. It just made things easier. I had a disorder. To me, that one statement, that one label, made things somewhat easier. Also, there was a point where I was just so used to being anxious, so used to having fluctuating extreme moods all the time, that I did not know how to recite in the middle. I remember I talked to someone who was depressed before, and she had everything within her reach to manage and cope, you know, a therapist, a solid support system, a treatment plan, all those things. But one day, when we were talking about what she still needed, because she wasn't, I think, progressing at that time, I cannot forget this because I even wrote a poem about it. She said, I do not know how to be okay. And that stuck with me, you know? I do not know how to be okay. I remember a One Tree Hill quote that I think perfectly sums it up. It says, Sometimes pain becomes such a huge part of your life that you expect it to always be there. Because you can't remember a time in your life when it wasn't. But then one day you feel something else. Something that feels wrong only because it's so unfamiliar. Then in that moment, you realize you're happy. And maybe it's true for some of us, as it was true for me. Not being manic depressive, not being anxious, somehow felt wrong. It didn't feel like me. And then after all these, I reached a certain point where the pain moved towards the periphery of my life. You know, it was no longer the sun that I revolved around. I held my pain and my illness in a way where I can sit comfortably with it, but at the same time know that I am not it. To hold my pain in such a way that I am its master and not the other way around. However, I'm not quite sure about the exact and specific ways it reached that point. 
I guess it was an amalgamation of being surrounded and loved by such solid people who chose to stick by me, who unceasingly prayed for me. It was knowing and understanding how the brain and mind work and using that as leverage and coping, accepting that a huge part of my healing was actually my responsibility. Knowing also that I wasn't helpless and that everything I need in order to overcome is already within me. I was able to step away from the illness, to be free from the definitions of these pains and hurts that I attached to my name. And it is my hope and prayer that people who struggle do reach this point, however slow and long. I do hope we all reach this point. It was also a game-changer for me to realize what surrendering my cares to the Lord actually meant. As far as protecting my pains, I realized and told the Lord, My pains, this illness, are safer in your hands than they are in my mind and heart. In retrospect, I know that no sleepless and dark night is ever put to waste, no tear, is ever forgotten. How does the Lord teach me to hold my pain? How can my pain and the grace of God both reside in my heart? I think Max Lucado put it most articulately when he penned in his book Six Hours One Friday, a man is never the same after he simultaneously sees his utter despair and Christ's unbending grace. To see the despair without the grace is suicidal. To see the grace without the despair is upper room futility. But to see them both is conversion. My pain and the grace of God can co-reside in my heart because I know that in this pain, Jesus is with me. Because when I close my eyes and imagine a kind of pain that's so profound, it brings death. An image of the cross in Calvary appears in my mind. Because Jesus stepped down from glory to suffer a kind of pain that was for me to bear. Because my pain is not just mine, but his. And that isn't even the concluding image. I close my eyes for a little more time and I see the veil is torn. The stone is moved, the tomb is empty. And in this heart of mine where pain and disorder think they found their permanent dwelling, my Savior and my Healer comes and takes his rightful place. And like a true servant, even the pain sits at his feet. 1 Peter 5 7 Cast all your anxiety, all your cares, all your pains, all your burdens on Him because He truly, truly, truly cares for you. Music